Rich, today we're sitting down with Gary Garth. He's just written the book, The Zero to $100 Million Sales Blueprint. And it's something that every single entrepreneur that I know can gain a tremendous amount of value from. And you and Gary unexpectedly have an awful lot in common about a sabbatical, about the book, about sales, all sorts of stuff. This conversation was very intriguing and we were able to get some real good nuggets out of it. Yep, absolutely. And at the end of the day, we all need to grow our sales, but it's not just about growing sales. It's about retention. It's about alignment amongst your teams. And it's about ultimately growing your business to success. These are all the things we talk about today with Gary Garth. Hey, entrepreneurs, are you looking to take your business to the next level? I'm sure you are. Listen up. The Entrepreneurs United Empowerment Experience is coming to Austin, Texas on October 2nd to the 4th, and you do not want to miss it. At this exclusive event limited to just 50 entrepreneurs, you'll have the opportunity to connect with other like-minded business owners and CEOs, learn from industry experts, and enjoy unique experiences that you will not find anywhere else. The Entrepreneurs United Experience will leave you feeling inspired, energized, and ready to take on whatever opportunities and challenges come your way. So mark your calendars now for October 2nd to the 4th, and join us at the Omni Barton Creek Resort in Austin, Texas. You will not regret it. Visit entrepreneursunited.us to learn more and secure your spot today. Gary, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United podcast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Now, I understand you're down in Colombia. I think you've been a little bit of a world traveler. You're born in Denmark, now live in Colombia. Where else have you been? Oh, I live stateside. I lived three, four years in Miami. I lived six, seven years in Nicaragua, Central America, a little bit in Mexico. Uh, right. I traveled all around Latin America last decade or so. Oh, that's fantastic. And I know you got a few companies and a few different objectives going on. And I'm very grateful that you sent me a couple of your projects. I do have in my hand here the zero to $100 million sales blueprint, which we're excited to dive into here a little bit today. And also, you were so gracious to send me what I've now named the 3G Planner, uh, Goals, <laughs> 3G Grit, planner. Greatness Planner, which I love planners. So that really fits into to me and looking at all that kind of stuff. Can you please, before we dive a little bit deeper into those projects, give us the small mm -hmm. little helicopter view of how it came to be that you wrote this book, the 100, Zero to $100 mm -hmm. Million dollar Sales Blueprint, and created this daily planner. What was the purpose of that? Where did this all come from? Yeah, it was, I wouldn't say coincidental, but obviously there's some color to that. The backstory is uh, in my last company, I ran a digital marketing agency for about 10 years. It was a large headcount in Nicaragua targeting U.S. advertisers. And we had a good formula, a good setup going on. So we, over the years, we acquired 5,000 advertisers, 300 million of the management. And we're fortunate to be like a fastest growing company four years in a row. And Throughout that entire journey, we offered a different, lot of different solutions. We started out direct sales, then we pivoted to channel sales. I worked very closely with Google and Microsoft channel sales teams at one point, enabling other marketing agencies to sell our solutions in a white label format and then work directly with their channel sales team. So I got to see, okay, the, the, I was about to say the good, bad, and the ugly, right? I saw all these advertisers that sometimes failed, even though they had a fantastic phenomenal lead generation campaign just because they didn't have the right systems processes in place leads was falling through the cracks or they didn't have the right uh, sales reps in place they didn't do the right hires they didn't have the right coaching framework they didn't have a proper onboarding plan and and that, i saw that when i was onboarded and trained about 200 resellers uh, so i would typically fly out and 
and, and train them because they could be a reseller selling SEO services and then wanted to add a product as a revenue expansion opportunity. And I spoke with the VP of sales and the reps and so forth. And when I was doing all these trainings, several times there was reps that were like, damn, Gary, you dropped some bombs there. That was like gold nuggets. I wish I would record it. Do you have that written down somewhere? And so I just started to, it was always in the back of my head to to write it. I didn't set out to write a 400-page book. It was just like, I just felt that I went down a rabbit hole. I was like, I cannot include this part because again, scaling a company, growing revenue, building a large sales team, there's no shortcuts. There's no hacks. It's a series of things that you have to put in place in a systematical fashion in order to grow. So that's where it came from. And then I had the privilege of working with some very smart, skilled people over the years. Again, that's why I have endorsements from head of sales of Google and Microsoft and Amazon, these big companies, because I worked closely with them and I saw what worked within those organizations as well. And that's what gave birth to the book. So the plan was a little unrelated from that. When I cashed out in my last company, I wanted to become an investor in different projects. I am a small-time angel investor, basically trying to look for projects where I can apply my skills and resources and help entrepreneurs scale more effectively. That's why I have these offices in Medellin, Colombia. That's also acts like an accelerator and incubator. Uh, I was about to invest in two rehab centers, the addiction treatment center industry. So it's very unique, special. There's a lot of regulations of, and it's a terrible thing because there's so many Americans that's facing mental health issues. This is Mental Health Awareness Month, right? So a lot of people's focused on it thankfully nowadays one one out of three that's a staggering number and there's 25 million if i'm mistaken americans that are facing drug addiction problems right and then imagine all the people that are suffering the family the kids the significant others but only 10 percent of all those people were facing helping health so i was about to i was very motivated to step into that industry and invest in then the planner was a tool that i saw was a need in that industry i'm a big fan of coaching and personal development and i believe you constantly have to be evolving and assessing yourself and and there's a lot of things you need to put in place especially if you are in a rough path in your life and you're trying to break a negative pattern you need a you need like a a coach in a format where you can say okay what what really drives me what's my purpose what kind of habits do i need to instill how can i break certain negative patterns by replacing those with healthy routines how can i tie it up with my objectives, what kind of reflection process do I need to put in place weekly, quarterly, et cetera. Uh, so that's how the planner came to life. And then it just uh, became a tool that I now use in all my companies as for employees. So we align on priorities and we establish mutually uh, beneficial goals, right? So align company objectives with personal goals. And uh, so if this, <laughs> they just all merged together and were meant to be, I believe, but it was for different motivational reasons that they came to life. Oh, I love that. And Elevate, which is one of your companies, is that the incubator you're talking about? Well, actually, so that was as a result of that backstory I gave you on the addiction treatment. COVID hit right at that point, and this yeah. was luxury boutique centers, respectfully, in the Dominican and in Canada. So there was travel restrictions for several months that kind of shut that down there. But I was fortunate throughout that due diligence process, I was interviewing a lot of marketing agencies and my take to the partners was like, let me sit in on that topic. I know a thing or two about that if I was about to hire a subject matter uh, expertise agency in this category. And I was a little bit surprised about like the solutions that we're offering and 
I was as an investor, I was not willing to bank my money. And it's like somebody where there's no promises whether we could have a high occupancy rate, what the cost per acquisition would be, and tangible strategies that could be predicted somehow financially, right? I'm always about what's your customer acquisition cost ratio versus lifetime value. Let's try to build on that. Is it worth investing in? Where, where should we allocate our funds? And those solutions were not in place. So when the addiction investment got a little sidetracked, I was like, here's an industry where I could take my skill sets, experiences, and resource and pluck a solution into the addiction treatment mental health care and indirectly help the many people I was passionate about helping just by enabling these fantastic centers and providers that are out there that are not operating at 100% capacity despite there's been millions of people that need treatment, right? So for me, it's all about enabling them with the light lead generation, having the right CRM tech enablement process in place so leads fall, don't fall through the cracks. And then also going in from a, I call it sales process architecting, so basically making sure that everything is mapped out and it could be scaled so that admissions team, the sales team follows a process that the, that leverages all best practices and is designed with probability in mind can be scaled. And that way they can help more people in direct. I'd like to understand some of your story. There are lots of places where we could help people. There are, I have a friend of mine who one of the things that he does is collects clothing and provides it to people who were rehabilitated, who come out of incarceration. There are people who are struggling to eat. There are people who are struggling to get water. People who are struggling with housing. They're first-generation immigrants. You chose addiction. Why? Yeah, fantastic question. I had it very close to my, my own life. I had a family member struggling with it. And I saw it's not necessarily just the pain of the addict. It's the family members. It's the significant others. They're the ones that are sometimes suffering the most. My best friend, may he rest in peace, passed away because of it. And I was just like doing that. And then also working with these so many skilled people, entrepreneurs, top paid executives where you look at them from the distance, you're like, they got it all, right? And then you read all these statistics, like the, what is it, 97% of companies fail, right? Cease to exist within a certain time frame, And that little, the percentage that succeed, make it a beyond a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. And then, holy shit, 80, 90% of all those entrepreneurs, they experience burnout, depression, addiction challenges, mental health. So I just saw just because you achieve XYZ milestone or this accomplishment, it's not the finish line moves always. And that's not, that's not equates to fulfillment. And so for me, it was very dear to say, okay, how can I help all people change the perception about all of this? I call good for you to have married this pain point in your life around, it sounds like family and you have this best friend who had passed away and I'm sorry for your loss that has inspired you to be very passionate about the cause of addiction. And you've been able to marry your skill in business to be able to serve that. I think you are in an absolute sweet spot that so many people wish yes. they were, where they could have a passion for the skill they have in business and apply it to an industry or a product or a service that they have equal passion about as they do the business itself. I agree. Because you can find that it's just like you just jump out of bed by yourself automatically before the alarm clock rings in the morning. And I'm always thinking about it, but I never think about work. I'm actually so driven about it. It didn't come 
by itself. And I have to be frank to anybody who's sitting out there listening and thinking there's something wrong with me. Why don't I have that purpose? Or it takes time to find. I'm 43 years old and I was depressed myself for a long period of time. I always think, okay, if I just make X amount of money and I made a lot of money, I was a millionaire first time when I was 23, lucky with a company. And my last company, I just remember one night sitting, just closing a deal and earning two and a half million. And I was like, didn't change my, and I was just like, how am I helping? How am I making a difference? How's this extra money going to change anything? Basically, I'm just helping some personally injured lawyers make more money. And these tech giants take all this money in this platform that's not being paid taxes off. So I was like, I want to do a difference. And I got to find something that sparks because I started to question what's the point with everything. So what I did, and maybe that's just for anybody who made, I took it, I sold my shares a little bit unexpectedly. I I took a sabbatical year. I traveled most of, most of, to, I traveled a whole month to Peru, for instance, to give you a crazy example. I did ayahuasca, nine ceremonies. I did psilocybin and in Jamaica, ibogaine and other strong. So I was basically just, okay, let me open up my mind and use all these tools and modalities to try to expand my horizon. Not saying that people should go to those extremes, but for me, I wanted to connect what I'm doing like 12, 14 hours a day with some sort of purpose. And it's highly recommended if you can find that. What I hear in your story is you took a pause from doing things to really think about why are you doing things. And your pause to your own admission little dramatic, right? I'm going to sell my shares. I'm going to yeah. take a year-long sabbatical. I'm going to go travel. I'm going to go figure out what is my meaning of life. And can you tell us a little more about your story in what happened over the course of that year that you got clarity on, that your work in business, it wasn't about money anymore. It was about something else and you became driven then it was a year-long sabbatical it wasn't a five-year-long sabbatical you became driven yeah. after the course of a year to come back and go hard i'd love to hear a little more of that story about what did you find on that sabbatical and what were you driven to do when you came back so i think the reason i went to those extreme modalities and so forth to expand my consciousness or whatever you want to call it my my exploration process was i am a kind of extreme guy but just throwing yourself out of your regular environment and traveling to 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 the amazon jungle spending a month there with no tv or no no phone signal even it's horrible in that sense you just force yourself to sit down and start thinking i spent a lot of money on coaching i still do i'm a big believer you can't see your own blind spots all the time right even the best athletes or ceos in the world or business people they typically have a coach in the corner they're not necessarily somebody that's a mentor but just somebody who could challenge them question that are you sure about that what about this have you looked at it from this angle uh, so i i did all of those things i read a lot through that period and then it was a combination of things where it's like okay what can i be very good at how can i not just toss away everything that i've accumulated as learnings and skills over over the years but how can I apply it to something, A, that's in, in increase in terms of a challenge? Typically, when people say you want to become rich or make an impact, you help people solve a problem. So I was looking for those factors as well. And then I wanted to make sure that it's something that 
that did something for the greater good. So I was like, I'm a father, I have a 10 year old daughter and I kept thinking to myself, okay, how she's going to see myself. I want her to think 10, 20 years from now, probably not when she's a late teenager, it takes time, but when she's 30 years old, I wanted to say, my dad was a badass. I wish, I wish I could have been, you know, that. So those kind of three questions drove a lot of my direction. Gary, we have Can a you lot reiterate those three real quick. I didn't capture all three. What were the three? Can't even remember now. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, <laughs> so, you said help people uh, against, solve a problem. That's one of them that they, I got. Uh, yes. How, uh, how can I do something for the greater good? Not just a okay. solve a whatever problem. And how can I leverage the skill sets, the experience, the resources that I've already accumulated and apply that to that? So that put those three things into the equation and it's powerful. But thank you. Gary, we have a lot in common, my friend. But before I dive into that, I'm sure our listeners want to know exactly what I want to know. You did nine ceremonies of what in Peru? What did you do? You said nine ceremonies, but I have no idea what you did. Oh, so plant medicine, ayahuasca. So I, I studied that a lot. I wanted to invest a lot in, I invested some in psilocybin therapy, et cetera. I looked a lot at Iboga, Ibogaine, it's just another strong plant medicine from Africa, Congo. And these are all things that help break down your frontal cortex and just the, all these standard social conditions that you've been programmed with. It helps just break them down. So it's becoming more and more popular. Like, for instance, psilocybin is for therapy, right? Is Some people say it's 10 hours of 10,000 hours of therapy in one session. And the stuff that is some magic blue pill you take it's just that you just expand and break down the nose so you're willing to see things from a different angle yeah uh, so if you co you walk into it with the right intentions and it's in the right setting it's not necessarily that it's a, a party or whatever it's not a party you're sitting there in the nature and you're asking yourself some fundamental deep questions that's been on your mind then it can help push you in the right direction so that's why i researched a shit load because like what can i do to get out of this slump, so to speak. And, and there's sort of some modalities that help me. I don't think it's for everybody, it's just, it, but it pushed me in the right direction. Very cool, thanks for sharing. Just share this with you with my story because it comes back together. Uh, I had a pretty massive failure in 2018 and lost a company I'd been building for 15 years. And I took a year sabbatical. I took it more locally, oh. but it was a year sabbatical yeah. in 2019. And what I was trying to do is find my purpose. And at the end of it, at the end of 2019, I wrote a little ebook never really published it or anything, it was just for friends or family called U 2.0, find mm -hmm. your purpose and kick some ass. And the process that I followed nice. also had three questions. And it was the Venn diagram, uh -huh, okay. in Jim Collins, good to great, the hedgehog concept, which is what are you most oh, passionate about? I love that book. What can you be the best yes. in the world at? And what drives your economic engine? And right in the middle of those yes. three circles is exactly what you should be doing, which then launched this podcast. Yeah. I actually am writing a book right now, eerily similar, called The $100 Million Journey, Seven Entrepreneurial Principles for Success. It's not a sales nice. book at all. It actually goes the other way on finance and a whole bunch of other things, but just a very uh -huh. eerily similar journey where I, I must say. To find myself. <laughs> I had to find my purpose. And, yeah. and actually, one of the first things I did, and Rich knows this and all our audience knows this, is I got the One Thing Daily Planner which asks you all these different types of questions. When I was looking through your goals, grit and greatness planner, I was reminded of that planner, but then also the level of depth that you ask of questions in here is a lot deeper 
than that planner I had before. Congrats on that. And I do think that Thank you. one of the books you mentioned as one of your best resources has come up a lot on this podcast, which is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. I sense a lot of mm-hmm. that coming from you in this conversation. Yes. So I want, I want to kind of transition us if we can, Gary, to this, mm-hmm. bo- this book you have that's out zero to hundred million. I do love the fact that it's not a 200 page book because there's so many resources you put in here that you didn't have to put in, but you really jammed it full of resources. Back in the day, Rich used to do sales training for our companies as well. But I'd love to just hear from you, not necessarily enterprise software sales, but just sales in general. What do you think are the top Mm -hmm. three, maybe three, four, five keys that you think entrepreneurs miss in their sales strategy that kind of blocks them and prevents them from growing? I get asked that question all the time, right? What's the number one thing I can do? How can we grow our revenue fastest this year? What do you recommend? The very first thing that comes to mind is, like I put my book, a chapter, God, we trust everybody else brings data. Try to map out your entire customer journey and adapt all the pertinent sales and marketing metrics throughout that customer journey. Because... There could be a million different reasons to why you're not succeeding. If you have uh, stop measuring all these things, you could stop benchmarking. There's a ton of different industry analysis per industry and closing rates or lead response rates or email engagement. You can start to see how you're stacking up against the rest and you can start tweaking because it may be difficult to understand, okay, is my value proposition not good enough? Am I not competitive in the market space? Do we have a poor presentation process or is it our discovery that needs to be optimized the best way to do that is by mapping out the customer journey and appointing these i have 20 sales metrics i put in my book i recommend and surprisingly most most companies don't have that data i would say nine out of ten eight out of ten companies every often like if it's a direct response campaign it could be an smb or enterprise company and i said for every 10 phone calls you get how many of those turn into how many of those are qualified prospects first of all and secondly, how many of those do you close? How long time does it take for you to close? And what's the average deal size? And just that intelligence, if you don't have that, it's hard to optimize your process and then start replicating it. So that's like the fundamentals. Before you get to that point, it's even the question, have you done proper market research? Do you know who your ideal customer profile is? And that sounds quite simple, but nowadays there's so many different data companies out there and a lot of people just do the shortcut and buy some database and assuming it's all good. And then they create some sort of generic outreach campaign or they rely on some marketing channels. But do you truly understand your potential customer? You know, the firmographics, demographics, even psychographics, so that you can create the right narrative and, and create a compelling pitch and truly understand where do you differentiate in the market and what how, what problems can you help them solve? So that's obviously a keystone, a cornerstone element in the process that you need to get right. And then throughout that, the whole pro- the whole sales cycle is, okay, do you have the right onboarding process of reps? Are you equipping them with all the best practices? Do you have a sales playbook with scripts for bottles and manuals for everything? And do they understand the competitive landscape? Are you equipping them with knowledge enough to be you know, more than just a, a sales rep but become like a guided advice, a solutions architect, somebody that could truly get under the skin of the prospects and understand like how, what's the best path forward for you, right? And typically if it's a, if you have a presentation process and so forth, is that done? Is it, is it everything documented? Is it 
So you, it's impossible to optimize anything. If you have a sales team of five, everybody's doing something different because that's what they believe in. You need to have some consistency to optimize it. Another thing that comes to mind is sales marketing alignment, a huge one, right? So almost these two siloed divisions in most companies, even big ones, right? Marketing has one set of KPIs and, and metrics and sales has a different one. They barely speak to each other. <laughs> marketing is trying to create marketing qualified leads and focus on content that can rank organically and sales is just desperate to get a piece of content that they can help within the sales process and close more deals what if you merge those two things together magic happens in my opinion and then to your point on the jim collins headshot concept good to great one of my favorite books by the way sales tech and martech is very hot nowadays right and people are very easily persuaded that, ah, if you add this plugin or this tool or this software, then you can do this way quick and we can automate things. No, but then you end up having 20 pieces of the sales technology. People don't adopt it. Half of people use it, the other don't. It's diff Again, it's not making the impact. First, get the process right to the T. And then you add technology that can act as a catalyst for amplifying these best practices that you've boiled down. So that's why it's a 400-page book because there's not, you hear it, I could go on for hours. It's not one thing you just can do. You need to follow all those different steps to make sure that you become, but that's at least a good status you can get, you can yeah, go no matter what the size of your companies. Yeah, I caught five here that I just wanted to come back to in, in a dip, maybe a little bit different order, but you need to know who your buyer persona is and who you're going after because not all customers are created equal. You want to know which are your most profitable, longest lasting customers and that know who that is. Number two is map out the sales customer journey and something I think Rich and I, you and I learned very early in our career is just, you got to manage by the metrics. What are your close ratios? What are your average job site? Whatever the metrics are for you. Three, boarding training reps, which I think a lot of entrepreneurs take for granted. They assume if they just hire someone with a good resume, they'll put them over here and sales will generate. Doesn't happen. Number four, sales and marketing alignment. Absolutely. I think as well, you said you owned a digital marketing firm. It just seems a lot of sales are now happening through marketing efforts, which is it's all combining a little bit in some worlds. And number five, get the process right, then the tech to drive efficiency, not the tech to drive efficiency and figure out the process. So reverse that order. Those are the five that I captured. Those are, those are really good. But I think if I had to sum it up, you probably have another, what, 50 to 100 in this book? <laughs> yeah there's 14 chapters so there's, there's a few i'd love to hear with this onboarding strategy as you're looking at it gary and you're talking about sales playbook and the scripts and rebuttals things like that it's been i'm looking for you to on air live problem solve with me because i have a problem and i'm assuming if i do so do other entrepreneurs here's a problem even when we get scripts and rebuttals down, people don't always follow them when we're in the field. It's not like they're going to have in their vehicle, here's a script and rebuttal, and I'm going to do a quick refresher before I go in and I go talk to this person, whether it be in an office or in their home. They're not in the home and we go, hey, time out real quick. Let me look up and see in the index what I'm supposed to say now. And I want to find out in your process when you're, I'm a believer, I, you have me on document everything. Got it. How the heck mm -hmm. do you go from documenting everything to people actually using it? I understand training and coach them. And th that doesn't seem 
to be enough to do it. What do you have that's different that actually equips execution in the field? It's not an easy thing. So let me just put make that clear for everybody who's maybe doubting themselves on the things they have experimented. I've tried a Thank lot. Thank you, and, first of all, for not... validating my inadequacy and, and making me feel comfortable in my own skin, <laughs> that it's not easy. Good job validating my emotion. <laughs> I hear it so often, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Yes, thank you. Because that's the that's a equally important part of the equations. I, as I put in my book, I think any founder, and if you don't have that in your DNA, then you should maybe partner up with somebody who has it. You need to be also the chief sales officer. You need to lead by example. That goes a long way. So it's like everything that is documented. It's proven to work, right? And you can coach it. You can demonstrate it's not an external consultant coming in and coaching on some methodology. And then it's just left up and you follow up. And it's something that's reinforced day in, day out. And you're jumping on calls as well. You're applying it so people can see that it works. Having huddles daily, morning huddles, like evening huddles, where you leverage that time to also do role plays and do these exercises it's it's a little bit like going to the gym right it's just it doesn't happen overnight you need to go five days a week for an hour you also got to consider nutrition and then you'll start seeing some results after a while and so i think that's why a lot of people a lot of folks maybe give up on it is that they just don't have maybe the patience or the bandwidth to to apply it for a million reasons, we all know and every entrepreneur and sales leader is wearing a million hats typically, so it's understandable. But if you manage to put sales first and crack the code on that, you can build a revenue machine because you have something that could be scaled. Thank you. I got value out of that. That The lead by example, I made a note on it, totally agree with it. That wasn't the new part to me. Reinforce daily. Look at it like going to the gym. It's a five-day-a-week thing. Constantly reinforcing it. That, I think, is the hard part for entrepreneurs who wear, you have the chief bottle washer and the laundry person yes. and the salesperson and the marketing person. And there are just so many hats to wear. I do understand that if you're at it five days a week, if you're constantly reinforcing what your standard operating procedure is as it relates to sales, that is ultimately going to embed in your people. Do you have a recommendation on an entrepreneur who has a smaller business, who they may be the sales leader themselves, but they have all these other hats that they have to wear too, how does mm -hmm. that entrepreneur also get consistency where maybe they don't have eight to 10 hours a day, five days a week to focus on sales only? It's a tough one, but find the time. It may sound simple, but as I put in my book, and it's very much in chronological order, is double down on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. So if you happen to have that, you're blessed with the sales DNA. I always say I'd rather have a fulfillment problem than a sales problem, right? Because if you have enough customers coming in and so forth, you can buy yourself out of most challenges. You can hire consultants, experienced people to come in and help you and get the right systems and support vehicles. So if you're blessed with that, then invest fully to it. I learned that the hard way. I didn't really embrace 
mastery throughout my career. I just I had a talent for sales, but I was I wanted to be the CEO, and the CEO has to be also super spreadsheet master, right? I can navigate through myself through a spreadsheet, but I'm definitely not a master. And you also have to have be a financial wizard, right? And understand all the balance sheets and <laughs> The bigger the company gets, the more complicated it can get to some extent. And I do have financial acumen and so forth. But for instance, and as an example, in my last company, and we we're growing 300 people, and we had a board of directors and I had partners, and it's like one of the board directors said, a CEO only has a high school education. Shouldn't he have some financial knowledge? And I took that very deep to me. And they actually sent me to Harvard to take a course that's called Finance for Senior Executives. And I just remember sitting there at the campus at Harvard in Boston, three o'clock at night, just looking down at this paper. It was like all one blur. I didn't understand anything on this paper. I was like, screw it. The reason the company, uh, one of the reasons is at least because we put sales first and I was able to build a big successful sales team at client facing. Maybe I'm not as a, a CFO candidate, but then let's hire somebody to do it. And if I'm not the right CEO for the company at the current stage, let's find somebody else and let me go back into what I actually like to do because that typically comes, again, out of the state of passion and joy, and you're not too t so tough on yourself. And it's difficult to be a jack of all trades. In that specific scenario, it's about making some hard decisions and maybe prioritize it, you know, which is got freaking difficult, especially as an entrepreneur. And, and I get it. You're wearing a lot of hats, but sales has to be one of the biggest hats in the equation. Because without yeah. sales, there's no growth. There's no company. And I think the undertone of what you're saying when you say double down on the strengths and delegate your weaknesses is understand what are your strengths to begin with and understand yes. what are your weaknesses. Because if your strength is sales in sales coaching, then go find some stuff to delegate and keep doing that because you're awesome at sales and sales coaching. If you're not, a sales and sales coaching person, stop trying to be and go hire yes. someone who is so you can delegate it. Yes, yes, exactly. And, so and that's where it can get difficult sometimes to delegate it. I also tried that. Again, I also say my book could have been could have been labeled 101 things not to do, right? Because I <laughs> definitely failed a lot. And for instance, despite having a lot of sales experience, at one point our company almost crashed because we didn't hit some financial targets that were associated with incentives and rewards from some of our big partner companies. And, and that was because I made a mistake of, okay, and now I'm stepping out of sales. I'm going to bring in a sales guy. And I looked at the resume. And for instance, it's a big difference in, in hiring somebody who can create a blueprint and somebody who can follow a blueprint. So it's not an easy VP of sales, typically a very hard position or chief sales officer, chief revenue, whatever you want to call that position, very difficult hire. But if you don't have it, it, you might as well go down that path right away and try to find that person because in China, instead of twisting your own arm to become something you're not, right? It's never going to work. You made me think of a potential good book title. Maybe we can work on a book with you. Instead of <laughs> built to last, maybe we write a book that's, fail to last how to fail get your learning up. lessons in last i might just copyright that one right now that's I, a good I, one i like what you <laughs> that your book could include something the title could have included something about failure and learning lessons i think it's brilliant yeah. i actually got a better title for his please yep hit me it's <laughs> you might have 99 problems but sales ain't one <laughs> you like that one gary garth 
I read that <laughs> read that in your book or on your video, one of the two. And but you did trigger us there, and now we need to ask because people want to know if there are ninety nine problems and sales aren't one, isn't one, or there are one hundred and one things that you could have wrote the book about that you shouldn't do. Give us a few of them. You just gave us one, which is stick to your core and stick mm. to double down on your strengths. If you don't double down on your strengths, you let someone else come in. That doesn't really work. But give us a few other examples through your entrepreneurial journey that, that really mm. resonate with you where you're like, yeah, mm. don't do that. That was a big mistake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Several come to mind. One is don't try to boil the ocean. Don't try to be everything for everyone. Pick a niche, pick an industry double down on it, uh, get some market penetration, get the documentation before you expand into something else. Sales and product alignment. We talk about sales marketing alignment as well. And my last company also, even though we rocked it, the sales was blowing up, there was not proper alignment and we had super high churn cancellation that leaves bad reviews, bad reputation, creates a ripple effect within the company. Financially, it's a nightmare, right? There's a our business review study, I believe something about if you improve your customer retention rate by 5%, you can improve your profitability upward 95%. Getting customers to stay, that should be the number one focus. Uh, just client-centricity, and it sounds very standardized, but if you think about companies today that outsource all the customer service and you got sales process when account executive or sales rep lands the deals and then there's a cold handoff to somebody else. Uh, I just seen the impact. So my companies now, it's okay. We Do we need to do that? Maybe not, but we're going to do it anyhow. We're just going to let, we're going to turn everything. We're not going to take a coincidence when it comes to the clients. And it's all about sales reps remaining involved in the relationship with monthly business review, quarterly business review, there's an internal QA process to make sure that everything is done. There's extensive briefs like between sales department and fulfillment to make sure that we everybody understands what the objectives are, what are all the pain points. Because sometimes a customer has been talking with a rep for months, right? Years sometimes about some solution or finally to take a leap of faith. And then they have to start all over with an account manager that has to get the same explanation. No, come on. So I learned all those things the hard way, right? And impacted profitability, certainly, and growth. That's an, that's another thing that I learned that hard way. And then also, like one of my good friends, he said, yeah, yeah, Gary, zero to hundred million, that's great. If you want to go to zero to a billion, then you focus on operations. That really stood out <laughs> with me. That's, that, I like that. So I'm good at sales and marketing and customer acquisition, but I could have been way better at operation. I can still be. Again, it's something that I delegate now operations that's the vehicle right that's cornerstone of making things happen that's another thing i would put in there awesome so gary a lot of great feedback here or information there's great content in your book obviously that we'll promote and get the links out to everybody but if people want more of gary want more outside of the book in the planner what should they yeah. do is there some place they can go to get more from you my my personal website is Gary Goth, like my name, G-A-R-Y-G-A-R-T-H dot com. You can find some resources, a little bit of what I'm up to. And then elevate.io, uh, you can see a little bit about what we do here as well. I also have a YouTube, LinkedIn. If you write me, I typically respond myself. I'm always interested in feedback and et cetera. And if it might, you both saw my book, it's not to promote that too much, but there's a lot of personal stories that I'm actually making myself very vulnerable. Also something I, in my sabbatical year that I decided to do 
so I would encourage everybody to pick up a copy. In fact, with your permission, I would love to give the first 50 listeners that go to my website, Elevate.io. If you go to the book, it costs $30 of a paperback version on Amazon. But if you go to the book section, you type in Entrepreneurs United, all in small as a coupon code, you'll get the book discounted for, to zero dollars for the first 50 listeners. And I just hope it helps some people scale the company and would really appreciate a, a good review. So if you like it, of course. Very generous. Love it. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time today, Gary. Thank you so much for having me, Guy. Very good questioning. <laughs> I enjoyed you. this. Please stick around for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down this episode. John, I love the three questions that Gary asked himself when he was on this year-long sabbatical, including one month in the Amazon. Talk about extreme. That's unreal. But yeah. he was looking to get answers to things like, how can I help people solve a problem? What is something that I'd be passionate about to help them do that? How can I do something for the greater good? And what do I do to leverage my skill? And to your point, while we were on with Gary, those are similar. There's nothing in here about driving the economic engine, but those the others were similar to some of the questions you asked. Yeah, no question. It's such a great process. I was actually having a conversation today with an entrepreneur that was struggling a little bit with, I'm trying to figure out exactly like what my niche is. And I reminded them of the hedgehog con. It is Ultimately, if you can find that spot, and I would argue, Rich, you're also in that spot, right? What you're most passionate about, what you can be the best in the world at. When you find that spot, the fulfillment is so great. And I think way too many times entrepreneurs are chasing the almighty dollar. Or they're trying to build something and they're not really sure why they're building it, but they're just building it. They're not really passionate about what they're doing, but it's what they're in. And it's what they got their expertise in. Or it's what they went to school for. And when you have that whether it be a crisis of intervention or a crisis of meaning, or you make a decision for yourself, you know what, this isn't good enough for me anymore. Or we had a conversation recently with John Mitchell at the age of 50 going, this is not where I want to be. I'm going to make a difference and a change in my life. When you get to that point and you start soul searching, I think everybody comes back to the same spot of what do I want to do that drives me and excites me and gets me passionate, but I know I can be really good at it as well and make a change and make a difference not only in my life, Maybe my family's life or the people around me. Because if I'm miserable, everybody else is going to be miserable. So I think there's a lot of value there. I'm interested in your thought on this. I'm, it's making me wonder, because you brought up that former podcast where he turned 50 and he was like, what is life about? That podcast guest said he wanted to see, it wasn't about money and he wanted to see uh, about a relationship and what business he wanted to be in. And then we hear from Gary that once he got money, it wasn't about money. So he took a year long sabbatical and he said he's 42, I believe. You had a self-admitted failure of a company and then you took a sabbatical. Is it possible for entrepreneurs to get this clarity earlier without having to have a huge failure, without having to turn 50? With a, is it possible to get this clarity of purpose in your upper 20s? in your lower 30s? Or do you feel like in your experience, it's just inevitable the way that this goes, and there's going to be a turning point, and you need to wait for when yours is going to be? Great question, Rich. I can remember at least half a dozen elder mentors, let's call it. And when I say elder, they're 10, 15 years older than me. When I was around 30-ish, saying one day you'll figure it out what your real purpose is 
I thought my purpose was just build business, have some fun, kick some ass, whatever. I, I really didn't have, like, I was growing a business for the sake of growing it. I wasn't really sure what I was going for. I just, uh, I'll feel successful if I build something. And when they would say that to me, I'd look at them and go, I know what my purpose is. It's to have fun and kick some butt and grow businesses. In my mind, I really couldn't capture it. And you and I have self-admittedly, like, I read that Think and Grow Rich book when I was 22, 23, 24, yeah. maybe, yeah. along with hundreds of other books that you and I read. But it isn't until you have the aha moment, I believe, in one way, shape, or form. And the aha moment can happen from a whole slew of different things in your life, right? Whether it be you, you lose your job or there's, a, there's something happens with your family or there's some reason that triggers you to go, what am I doing? Where am I going? And I do think that plays a lot into mental health as well. Like a lot of people, we've talked about this in this podcast many times, that they're maybe in a job, in a role, in a company, they're not really feeling fulfilled, they're going home not as lively or miserable or whatever it may be. How do you break out of that? And I, he definitely, Gary definitely went to an extreme. I was very curious about what he was doing. You don't have to necessarily go to that extreme, but once you find that spot, I don't care if you're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, it doesn't make a difference. When you find that spot and you can live in it, everything just gets a lot easier. As I'm hearing what you're saying, I also want, I think for myself, and I had a fork in the road about 12 years ago as to whether I move out to Iowa and start my family life out here, or if I stay in Illinois on the track that I was on. And there was this major fork in the road that it wasn't professionally though, it was personally. So I wonder if it does require this realization that hey maybe what i'm chasing isn't all it's crack up to be or if there's just acknowledgement of holy cow there this is a we've talked about this before on the podcast this is a door that's a one-way door mm-hmm. i can't go back it's a major fork in the road yeah. and i would encourage entrepreneurs to even look for those one-way doors look for those major forks in the road and not have to wait until you go down into crisis of meaning and really questioning things and major failure. And it can just be a major fork in a road that makes a big decision as to what product or service or making a hire or getting into something else and just really contemplate that and not have to wait for this big life change. It can be now if you're looking hard enough for that fork in the road. Yeah, or that learning or that mentor, or even, again, I'll keep going back to this daily planner that Gary has, right? The goals, grit, goals, grit and greatness. When you do execute these principles from Think and Grow Rich, and you document what you're trying to do on a daily basis, your intentions change, and everything starts changing in terms of what you're trying to do. You can do that on a daily basis. You don't have to wait for something to hit you in the head. And be like, oh, I guess I should start following some principles that from right. a book that was written in 1936 on how to be successful. You can start following it right now. And there's another piece too, Rich, that you know, way back, I can't remember who said it that we were connected with, but it's kind of your journey is kind of like a plane. It never is 100% on the destination of where it's going. It just makes all these tweaks along the way in the air until it lands at JFK Airport in New York. And so that's life. And, but what ends up happening is when you have this major catastrophic event, it just shakes you a little bit harder to be like, whoa, I wasn't doing those things, or I was blinded by something, or I didn't see what was going on, or I was just kind of a little bit too comfortable in where I was that I didn't feel like I needed to do any of this stuff. I think that's when it really wakes you. But if you're young listening to this, and you're start doing now 
the thoughtful planning on who you want to be, where you want to be on a daily basis and execute these principles using a daily planner like Gary has, that's where, that's where you'll find success. And some of that thoughtful planning comes back to understanding your own strengths and weaknesses yeah. and doing planning on how to do what Gary recommended, which is double down on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. The gift of getting older, the older we get, the more self-consciousness we get about ourselves, the more we learn about ourselves. I used to think it was actually kind of weird when I would hear my parents say something about their good ear. Do you have a good ear, John? Is one is no, I can tell you my left ear is better than the right. And it may have been that way my whole life long. But the older you get, the more you realize these nuances about yourself. I didn't really get it when I was younger. And now I do. And maybe when we were younger, there was just ego wrapped up in it. And we didn't want to admit a weakness. And we just believed we could do anything that we wanted. We could we put our mind to it, we'll figure it out. We'll just knuckle bust it and grind it. And but the real realization with a healthy developing ego, I have weaknesses. I'm not necessarily going to work on them. I'm going to find someone where my weakness is their strength so I could delegate it and double down on my own strengths. Yep. And that's also the power of having a coach. And Gary talked about it. He has a coach. Yes. He says, I invest heavily in coaching, he said, very specifically. He doesn't have to invest heavily in coaching. He succeeded and created wealth for himself. He doesn't have to. He chooses to invest in wealth because he knows, and every entrepreneur should know, and we should know, we all have these zones, these blind spots, as he referred to, that we all need help with. So absolutely, double down on your strengths, delegate your weaknesses, but also get that mentorship and support that you need to drive you to the next level.